This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome along to the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. I'm your returning host, Patrick Smith, as we cast our eyes to Liverpool's trip to the South Coast on Saturday to take on Bournemouth. Joining me on today's pod, we have a trio from Echo Towers. Up first, we've got Liverpool FC writer Theo Squires. Welcome along, Theo. How have you enjoyed the week after Liverpool's 7-0 humiliation of Man United? It's been lovely, hasn't it? Been able to just have constant digs at United day after day. It's been something I've been waiting for all season because regular listeners will know how much I love to two for opposition players, teams <laughs> and whatnot. So it's been a great week for me. Yeah, absolutely. I said I wasn't going to mention it on the pod, so we'll just do it for the intros for now. We've also got women's football writer Beth Lindup alongside us. Beth, have you now recovered from the celebrations after Sunday's win? I have. You know what? I'm a bit disappointed we're not discussing Man United because I'm not sure I've ever done a blood red with only joining the season where we've won a game. So I'm disappointed that I missed that one on Monday. But <laughs> um, but no, I'm good. Just about recovered. Yeah, I wish we could. We spent hours and hours on the topic. I mean, I'd love to revel in it some more, but I've been given the editorial guidance not to. I mean, Rich, you're rounding off our panel. You are Echo Sports trans writer. You've seen a lot more Liverpool games than me. Where does Sunday's 7-0 win rank among all those for you? Um, pretty high, to be honest with you. Um, I had my lad with me as well, which uh, helps. So I don't think he was expecting to see a 7-0 victory. I was like, well, yeah, they're not that rare, not that common. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's say that we've done a seven-one, a nine-nil, and a seven-nil this season. Yeah, well, there's a difference between a nine-nil against Bournemouth and a seven-nil against United. Is there no no disrespect to uh, Liverpool's next uh, opponents? But um, yeah, it was uh, very very enjoyable, and uh, I'm happy to uh, dine out on it for a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, Richard's son's very lucky to be grown up with this generation to watch as well, because when I was his age, I think it was the Roy Hodge scenario. So he can count himself very lucky on that one. But you mentioned well, there that... You need oh, at least six pints pre-game to watch the Hodge <laughs> scenario, mate. So if that's not an advert for teenage drinking, I don't know what is, Pat. I mean, I was I would have been 10 at the time, so I think I'd have probably been <laughs> in hospital if I'd have had that. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on. Then. I mean, we mentioned the 9-0 win there, Theo, didn't you? The attention now is going to turn to Bournemouth. Liverpool humiliated them like they did Man United way back in August in that 9-0 win. What are you expecting on this occasion, though? Not a 9-0 victory. Uh, it's that horrible Saturday lunchtime kickoff. It's a long way to go. Weather's probably not going to be the best, is it, getting down there from all the snow we've had this morning? I know uh, Doily and Gorsty, they're having to set off probably in the next hour or so, maybe well, definitely this afternoon, which is why they're not on the podcast today, because they're having to stay overnight with the kickoff time. And it's one where Bournemouth in those horrible kickoff times, it always feels like a game where Liverpool could slip up. But then at the same time, Liverpool in confidence when they go there, they batter him. And Mohamed Salah seems to score like two goals, three goals. So I'd like to think Liverpool, full on confidence after dismantling United, can go and get a victory there. But then there's always that anxiety when you see such a, a long away day on a 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday. Fingers crossed they're not too sleepy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Beth, it is that dreaded 12.30 Saturday kickoff as well, especially as an away game. We saw it at one time this season, didn't we? Liverpool beating a rival in Manchester City and then facing Forest, a so-called lesser side, in that 12.30 kickoff. Are you similarly concerned about Bournemouth this time or do you think Liverpool have enough to power through them? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a cause for concern, as you said. I think that, that Manchester City one, it, it's a real sort of parallel, I guess, to, to the situation so Liverpool have been in this week, obviously buoyed by an absolutely massive result over over a huge rival. And 
I think it, I think after that Manchester City um, win, I think it was Doyley wrote a piece about um, sort of saying, you know, Liverpool now don't have a choice. They have to sort of kick on. And it felt like that at that moment in time. And that's how it feels now. And obviously, you know, back in, in October, that didn't prove prove true. You know, unfortunately, we've, we've seen another string of, of poor results since that Manchester City defeat and you, you really sort of you want to think that this is a turning point now and, and after not just the United game you know the, the derby and and a few other results as well you, you would like to think that, that Liverpool are back and really you know on the on the top four charge but we've seen a number of times this season a couple of, of false dawns for, for Liverpool so we've just got to hope that that won't be the case on, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, Rich, what's your take on it? Bournemouth had a relatively, I mean, not relative, they had a very good performance at top of the league Arsenal last weekend, didn't they? Very unlucky, as in the words of Jurgen Klopp, to concede that last-minute goal to lose it. I mean, they went ahead, I think it was after 40, not 40, like 10 seconds or something ridiculous, wasn't it? Now, do you think Liverpool are going to have a similarly poor start? Because Bournemouth clearly showing they can start well. Liverpool at times, particularly in their kickoffs, have shown they start poorly. Is that going to be the major concern for the Reds at the weekend? Well, they're absolutely capable of a bad start, as you say, they've, as they've uh, proven it uh, quite a few times this season. I think if you look at um, United's rather unsatisfactory result for them at Anfield on Sunday, it was a bit, a bit of a case of after the Lord's Mayor show, wasn't it? You know what I mean? They've, they've gone to Wembley, they've won uh, won a trophy and, and rocked up at Anfield, probably in a, a pretty chipper move and left with the pants down. And Liverpool just need to be a little bit careful after winning... 7-0, that the same sort of thing doesn't happen to them. Obviously, riding the crest of a wave all of a sudden, and then you, you're going somewhere where, let's face it, they'll be they'll be expected to get three points. But uh, it doesn't always work out like that. I, actually, I'd, I had a couple of couple of quid on um, Bournemouth the other week against Newcastle to, to, to get a draw, which which they came up trumps with remarkably. So, you know, they're not without they're not without merit, Bournemouth. They've, they can cause a few problems, and I think Klopp's alluded to that himself this week that you know he's not expecting an easy ride. I, I still ex- expect Liverpool to come away with the win, but uh, I'm certainly not expecting to see a demolition job along the lines of which we enjoyed at least in the second 45 minutes last weekend. Yeah, hopefully some more tips from you, Rich, throughout the show. There, lovely little one for us there. I mean, yeah, I mean from kickoff, I hope Liverpool just drop all ten outfielders back because Bournemouth have started doing these lovely routines at the start of matches. So hopefully they keep an eye out. That one. But Theo, Bournemouth typically plays Liverpool have struggled at times playing, haven't they? I mean, you know, it's a small ground, it's quite intimidating, especially in the early kickoff. I mean, is there any historical reason why Liverpool could struggle? Do you think, you know, shown it in the past, there's been games where Bournemouth have had that amazing comeback and Liverpool had to. I think they're in the green kit, weren't they? I think back to the Coutinho days. There's been a couple of belter matches down there, hasn't there? <laughs> Has but I think you're at risk of doing what you did with Firmino the other week, saying oh, <laughs> against United, where it's only just one game. I, I, I was thinking the same as you that Bournemouth hasn't been a happy hunting ground, but other than that 4 3 in what 16 17 and the toxic thunder, wasn't it? That lime green kit, we've had a 4 0 victory, a 4 0 victory, a 3 0 victory. So, um, maybe it's not that bad after all. Me doing my research is everything, yeah. <laughs> um, I think Naby Keita had the game of his life last time. Was that have been what the, the title winning year? I didn't realize it was that long since we've been to Bournemouth away. Um, but then that was Liverpool at the peak of their powers, wasn't it? When they were putting four and three past them. But then if a, a Liverpool team with like Fabio Carvalho in midfield could put nine past them at Anfield, 
maybe we can be optimistic there as well. But it's one where you've had one result, bad result against them. That always does stick in the mind a little bit. But it's a long time ago now. It's what, six years, seven years? Yeah, there can't be too many players left at Liverpool were involved in that. Henderson, Milner. So it's not going to have too much impact. You hope they're professional enough to just build on the 7-0 victory, full of confidence, start well, no slow starts here, get an early goal and make Bournemouth look like what the side they are, the championship side that will be going down this season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Oh, scathing words there, Theo. It's not, not happened yet, but I mean, yeah, I similarly think they will go down. You've nicely led on to my next question about Naby Keita mentioning his masterclass. Beth Naby's returned to training this week after a couple of weeks out with a minor injury. You know, is there any chance that he's going to get back into this midfield? Because before his injury, he might have had a shout, but now the former Fabinho, Harvey Elliott playing well against Man United. Is there any case for Naby Keita getting away back into this side, do you think? Um... No. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, there is a case, obviously. I think, you know, this Liverpool side, yes, they were were exceptional last weekend. Um, They were great in the derby, but, you know, they're still a long way off being being at the best. And, you know, we've we've seen Fabinho obviously struggling for form at times this season. So I I don't think it's a, a case that you know, these players are all completely undroppable, but I just think sort of that that navigator sort of first half against Crystal Palace was was one of the worst I've seen in a Liverpool shirt. And not just him, to be fair, that the whole team were, were culpable that, that day. It was a really, really dismal stalemate. And I guess another reason not to get too ahead of ourselves after that that United win, because it was only, you know, a couple of weeks ago that that we had that that draw at Palace. So um I think we we've sort of we've exhausted the conversation, haven't we, really, about Naby Cater and um, I'd love him to kick on for us, and you know he's he's had flashes of, of brilliance, as, as Theo mentioned that game at at Bournemouth a couple of years ago. I think he, you know, he set up Mo for one and, and scored one as well. I think if I remember rightly, and, and again that that game at Old Trafford last season was probably the best I've seen him play. But I just, uh, yeah, I, I think he's his time at, at Liverpool is, is probably coming to to an end, and you know I think there's there's a case for for just sticking with the midfield that. That more sort of workmanlike midfield of Fabinho, Henderson, Bacetic, and, and and you know, um, I don't see him really sort of establishing himself in this side before the end of the season. Yeah, even as some myself who's defended Cater at times, I think he has shown some relatively good performances. I'm not sure his last few months in Liverpool shirt are going to be positive ones, particularly for him. I mean, Rich, what's your take on it? What would you do with Cater's situation? Klopp was asked in this press conference today what the situation is with his contract. He sort of refused to comment. What would you do, Rich? Well, um, I think since January, he would have been free to talk to other clubs. And I would hope that's exactly what he's been doing because his Liverpool career is coming to an end. Um, he's not really met the hype, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? It's um, They paid decent money for him. He came with a lot of expectation. He looked great on YouTube, let's be honest. Um, but he just hasn't done those things. And, he, and I don't know. I don't want it's, it's not... I don't want to question a player's character or anything like that, but but I've I've never I've never really been able to take to him uh, in the way I have to to other players that have come in, and he's obviously not helped been helped by an unbelievable injury record. I can't remember what it was, but I I, I had to uh, review it for uh, a piece a couple of months back, and all I can say is it was very long. Um, so th- there's a lot of things he's been out with all all different types of bits, like the Tim Man really. 
just needs to completely rebuilding, I think. Um, but the, the fact that the matter is that when he has played, um, he just hasn't done it on a, any sort of level of consistency. And I think when the chips are down, he's he's not really the man you're looking to. So, yeah, it's I think it's a case of shake hands and uh, bid farewell. Best of luck to him at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, Theo, you're someone who loves a chat on Naby Keita. You've had some interactions with our listeners in the past, haven't you? What's your take on the Keita situation? Uh, I think the fact that he wasn't in the match day squad for the United game says it all. Like, look, Jurgen Klopp is looking to the future, and that's why, like, Sir Curtis Jones are on that bench ahead of him. I think if we look at players who are coming to the end of their contracts in the past under Klopp, they, they fall into two camps when they hit the final few months of the contract. It's either business as normal, we need you, do a job for us, Genie Wijnaldum, Emery Chan before injury, and then he still came back for the Champions League final. And we're expecting to see the same from Roberto Firmino in the next couple of months. Certainly seems like we will off the back of that cameo appearance against United. Then there are all the others that are just pushed out the door quietly, that you're still around the camp, you're still training, but you're not really getting game time unless you're really, really needed. I'm thinking like Adam Lallana there, he was kept around, wasn't he? Uh, had his brief extension because of the pandemic. But I think he was only on the bench for the, the one game after that, and that was against Chelsea just because they were lifting the trophy. So he was that little bit more involved. They wouldn't, didn't want to jeopardise his chance of getting a move elsewhere. You think for the likes of Daniel Sturridge or Alberto Moreno, they didn't really feature much towards the end of their contracts. Even Divock Origi last year, I know he came on against Southampton and he had a couple of substitute appearances here and there. But then he had a little knock and they thought, right, you're just going to finish the season quietly. You're not involved for the Champions League final. The fact that Cater was left out and Oxley chamberlains in this bracket as well. He was left out, having been phased out quietly last year as well. It, it does look like it's a future without them. Um, Naby Cater's had a very up and down Liverpool career. I didn't realise until I was doing a piece the other day. If you look at the 2020-21 um, season, you know, we had that absolute stinker away at Real Madrid and was taken off just before half time. I think that was in March time. I think only that might have been his last appearance of the season or he played like one or two more games after that. He barely got a sniff. So it was a surprise when he got back into the team and he was so good last year. But he had contract, uh, a good couple of years left on his contract then to give him the benefit of the doubt to get back into contention. Here is the beginning and the end for him. There's no Champions League football realistically for him to play in now. They're probably going to get knocked out at the Bernabeu. So you've got, what, it's 12, 14 Premier League games left, something like that. You just go with your strongest team. You, you rotate the midfield if you really have to because of injuries or if players are tired and they come out. And we do know the games are going to come thicker and faster because of the mid-season World Cup and everything. But Cater is not the player you turn to. Like, you would much rather see this four of Vesetic, Henderson, Fabinho, Elliot and Thiago when he comes back. Those are the players you rotate between. And then you look to the future and it's Curtis Jones. It's the same reason why Artemelo hasn't played in the Premier League yet. You do not have a future at Liverpool why give you the minutes when we could give it to someone who's younger and is going to be part of the club's future? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that. Sums up perfectly. I think the thing with Cater as well, you mentioned the Champions League games there. In my opinion, he's always done well in European matches. I think that's where he's thrived, where he's not been up against like-for-like midfielders. He sometimes are more frequently up against in the Premier League. He can dominate those slower players in Europe, but yeah. Obviously, I don't think he's going to get many chances to do that for the rest of the season, unfortunately. But let's stay with the midfield. Klopp mentioned this press conference that Luis Diaz, who will touch on, and Thiago will return after the international break. Now, the midfield has been much improved in the past month. 
Is there now a case where Thiago might not even be in a starting place in that team? Because, you know, Henderson, Elliot, Fabinho, Bacetic all playing so well. Is there now a case where Thiago maybe has to settle for a rotation role? Yeah, I think I think quite possibly. I mean, we you know, we're all aware of Thiago's quality. He hasn't had the best season. Um, but you know, you could say that for every single player really, bar probably Allison. So, you know, I, I think he he definitely will will have more of a role in Navigator, I think, when he comes back in. You know, we, we know what what he can do. And I think certainly it will suit him better if he's coming into a Liverpool side that are more confident, that are more dominant, you know, the one we're more used to see. And I think when sort of Thiago was was featuring week in week out you know earlier in in the year Liverpool were really really struggling and he's not necessarily the sort of player who's going to turn a game around by it's by by himself you know he's someone who can obviously dictate play and 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 things like that and sort of slow the game down and play at his pace but not necessarily someone who's going to be the catalyst to to change a game so I I think he definitely does have a role when he when he comes back into the fold but I certainly don't think it will be be a case of him starting every single week I think now it's just down to who's performing the best. I think Bachelet. I think he's obviously probably the, the one who's cemented his spot more than um, more than the rest. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of how Thiago is um, is sort of edged back, eased back in when he when he comes back into the fold. Yeah, it really is an interesting one. I mean, Rich, as I mentioned, there, uh, Luis Diaz also coming back. Is there now even a case in the attack when Luis Diaz might not get a starting place? I mean, the form of Nunes and Gakpo and their newly formed partnership on that. You know, Gak- Nunes on the left, Gakpo down the middle. I mean, Luis Diaz is going to have to really fight to get his place back in the way they're currently playing, isn't he? Yes, but I think we're only really looking at the last couple of games. Um, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Luis Diaz's stock rising purely by not playing. Um, but that shows you how quickly things turn in football, don't they? That's probably why it's a game that so many people love because things can change in an instant. Uh, as we've seen, you know, we were... You know, questioning Gapko's um, um, suitability. Gap, uh, yeah, I can't say it, mate. If you if you think Beth can't say Basetic, you want to see me trying to say Gapko? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, you just did it again. Cody. <laughs> Cody. Um, yeah, Dutch Cody's, Cody's settled in now. Um, yeah, it, you know, he looked a bit quiet, didn't he? Those first sort of five games, almost a little bit cumbersome. He didn't. He didn't look like what was really being put forward as this sort of replacement for for Firmino but it's you know they're never going to be the same players but certainly the last couple of games he, he's looked far better and, and he looked absolutely superb against United that was like wow this is this is the player um it looked, we thought we were getting and and, and Nunes the same uh, although I still think Nunes wasn't I don't think he was great in that first half against United he certainly was in the second but um, he, he's a player who uh, I've come to accept is going to be different to Sadio Mane. You can't, you're not replacing like for like here. You're bringing in a different set of qualities, uh, and of course he's full of energy. He must be an absolute nightmare to deal with on the pitch, um, Nunes. And I, I have grown fonder of him as time's gone by. But let's not forget, uh, Diaz came in and just hit the ground running, didn't he? When he signed, he's looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, uh, ultra talented footballer, uh, and I, you know, when when the dust settles, I would expect him to be in that front three, and it will be down to the others to jostle um, for, for places within the side. Um, and I, I think it was help if you, you you kind of work out which which of those players is more more comfortable 
um, deputising for Salah as well, because Salah plays a hell of a lot of football, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, he seems to be the one consistent all the time, even even when his form dipped off a little bit. Um, so you definitely need more than one option on that flank as well. But what I think was uh, sort of a key point, which Beth alluded to, was that well, when she was talking about the midfield, it's more that you, you'd be picking a side now based on the players who are in form rather than rather than what they may have, have done a little bit recently with injury problems, which is picking on who's available. Um, yeah. and, that, and that is a stronger position to be in, and that should drive good competition from the players that, that know they're going to be there for the long term. And w- with that, you're just going to get better performances. And at least now Liverpool have got something to build on now with this decent run in the Premier League. Uh, and obviously confidence should be through the roof after such a great result against, um, uh, you know, what is now a pretty good United side. So, uh, yeah, it won't be easy for Diaz, but uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him back on the pitch. Yeah, we were debating this in the office the other week. And it's going to be, depends which Luis Diaz comes back. Like he's had a bad knee injury, came back and then had a little bit of a, another niggle in it, didn't he? It wasn't quite right, so he had to have the surgery. It's how that impacts him as a player. Like if he, he loses a yard of play, pace and he's not as explosive as as he used to be, then it's well, how do you adjust your game? Are you still going to be this player that made that electric impact when you first joined the club and you are one of the first names on the team sheet? It's why we're mid-March now. He's not going to be back until April. Um, those three games in April, where it's what, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, you're not throwing him in significantly in any of them. And then it's just gradually easing him back in, let him have a full pre-season and then see what sort of player he still is. And that's when you get the best out of him. And then you see who's in your, your strongest start in three. But it is a, an interesting debate to have because... You look at them, they've got so many players that are favoured towards this left side of the attack. And you can throw Jota in this as well. It's why Firmino sort of become the full guy, the one who's at the bottom of the pecking order, because it's the middle or nothing for him, whereas all the others can play in two or three different positions. At least with the right wing, they've got Elliot, who can deputise long term. Uh, Kay Gordon, if he gets back from injury and can find his best form. Uh, ben Doak. So there's the long term options there. And it's what they want to do, whether they want to go and get a senior player or they reckon Dyke, right, he's ready for first team next year. He's going to be the next Trent sort of breaking through into the team, making this big impact or next Elliot. But yeah, when you've got those three players competing for places, it's mouthwatering. It's what we've been looking at Man City and going, why don't Liverpool have that added bit of quality? You're going to have a world-class player on the bench. And whether that's Nunes down the middle or Nunes on the left or Nunes on the bench, same with Gakpo, same with Diaz. Um Liverpool maybe at times were too predictable. You can name what their strong, strongest starting eleven was, and all these players are back. No, you can't. Yeah, at least at that point though, um, he doesn't. There's less pressure with Diaz now, isn't there? You know what I mean. Whereas a few months ago, we might have been desperate to see him back in the side. You've now got players who've come into form or look more settled uh, in this team, and and it, it takes the pressure off the player. It takes the pressure off Klopp as well because he's got so many other options. Yeah, I mean, I was making this point on our academy show yesterday that Liverpool's summer rebuild is going to be in the midfield and the defence. There might not be a budget to get a Firmino replacement in. And do they actually need a Firmino false nine replacement? Because maybe what they need is a winger, bring Ben Doak in, Kate Gordon. I mean, with Luis Diaz as well, if he has lost that little bit of pace, because it's a big knee injury he's had, was it Neil Hamstring or something? He's going to probably lose a yard of pace on it. Maybe he can form into that number 10 false nine role that we've seen Cody Gakpo playing in, because Diaz certainly has the skill set for it. If he loses a yard of pace, that might be a better opportunity for him. But yeah, interesting stuff. Hopefully he can, as Theo said, get a nice pre-season under his belt and be eased back into action. I think that's definitely the best 
course of action for him. But something else we'll move on to now. We've got Beth, our women's football expert, with us. Um, let's do a little bit of uh, Liverpool's women's team. Lost to Arsenal at the weekend, didn't they, Beth? I mean, sort of an expected result, but it's not been an ideal couple of weeks for the Reds and the WSL, has it? No, it's it's been tough for them, really. Um, I mean, in early February, it sort of looked they were in sort of touching distance of of safety, really. Um, they, they had a, a good win over Reading, um, and then they had to go and play Leicester, who were bottom of the league. They, Leicester came to Prenton Park, and you're thinking if they win that one, then they probably are safe. Um, you know, if not mathematically, then then certainly in terms of the confidence and psychologically where it'll put them, you know, it would have been a huge win. And, and unfortunately, they, they lost that game very, very narrowly, one one nil defeat to to Leicester, and um, they were sort of denied the chance to bounce back from that straight away because of the international break. They've had nearly a month without a competitive fixture, which is a really really long time, um, obviously in, in football. Um, and then they came back from that in, in midweek against Arsenal. And it was a really tough ask, you know, for any side to go to, to Arsenal and, and try and win. I think it's something like 13 months Arsenal are unbeaten at home. So, you know, it was always going to be difficult. And it was sort of exacerbated further by the fact Matt Beard was without seven of his senior players. Um, a bit of an injury crisis going on at the moment seems to be not just um, linked to, to the men's team, but to the women's team as well. But um yeah, so they, they've struggled with injury, um, but a big opportunity for them to bounce back this weekend against Tottenham. Um, Spurs beat them 1-0 when they, they played them away earlier in the season, um, but they've lost their last eight league games and they're currently below Liverpool in the table. So it's a real chance for Liverpool to sort of make a bit of a statement and really distance themselves from that relegation conversation because they've got some really tough games toward the end of the season and I suppose the last thing that they, they want is to be going into that final day against Manchester United, who who beat them 6-0 um, in January and, and needing to get a result against them. So, um, yeah, I think it's time now for, for Liverpool to really sort of show what they can do and, and, and get out of that, that relegation dogfight, really. Yeah, I mean, it's such a massive game for them, isn't it? Are you confident they will stay up there? Because I, I think it's only one team goes down, doesn't it? So, I mean, is there a chance they do go down or does this weekend really decide that, basically, given their tough running? I think, you know, it's it's not going to be completely decisive this weekend. There's still plenty of football left to play. And I do think when you look at the teams in and around Liverpool, um, th- there's worse teams. There's worse teams in terms of form and in terms of the squad in general as well. So I think Liverpool will be safe, but then there is only five points separating Liverpool in eighth and Leicester at the bottom. So, you know, that that's one or two results going for or against you and you can find yourself in really murky waters really so I think a win this weekend would sort of allay fears of, of relegation a little bit but I, I do think they'll be okay either way but you know they as I said they don't really want to be taking it into those last sort of few seasons last few games of the season sorry to, to decide whether where they're going to end up. Yeah fingers crossed they get the result they need and hopefully establish themselves as a side in the WSL for years to come. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And with that, then we'll move on back to the men's team and to our team selector. Rich, I'll come to you first. Alisson will undoubtedly be between the sticks, won't he? But who's going to be in your back four first when I get to Bournemouth? I mean, I was chatting off air. One of my Welsh favourites, Kiefer Moore, he didn't start against Arsenal. Maybe he's in line for selection against Liverpool. Is there any case for putting in a Nat Phillips or a Matip against Kiefer Moore if he starts? Or are you going to go the tried and trusted team that's had five clean sheets in the league in a row? Well, as you've kind of dropped some sort of hints about my age, Patrick, earlier in this uh, pod, uh, I'll stick with an old adage, which is you're only as good as your last game. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I just don't see 
any cause for any sort of engineering here at all, really. So, Alison in goal, uh, Trent to right back, Canartin, Van Dyke, and, and Andy Robertson across the back. So, that looks pretty much what I'd like to see, and it's good enough for me. Theo, how about yourself? I mean, it's going to be a pretty physical battle, I think, isn't it? They're also a dangerous side from set pieces, Bournemouth, aren't they? I'd be surprised if Matt Phillips played, considering he's not been trading. I imagine he's injured again. He's had a few knocks, hasn't he, here and there. Uh, I saw one they're not really saying it in press conferences, but I'd imagine he's sidelined at the moment. And why are you bringing up Kiefer Moore? You've got big Dom Solanke there, former Liverpool cult hero we could be talking about. Klopp was delighted to see him. Feel off free to, Theo. <laughs> There's not really much I can say, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, in the mid zone. Klopp, um, after the 9-0, sprinted after him, had a nice little catch-up with Dom Solanke. So I'm sure they'll have a nice little reunion of vitality as well. Um, but yeah, back four is going to be the same, isn't it? It's not really anyone you want to throw in there. Simicasp as a left-field shout, just because he did so well against Wolves, and you can rotate those left-backs and know the quality is just going to be as good. But Andy Robertson had his performance of the season against United. It depends how much of an eye you've got on Real Madrid. But they've got a nice little gap between the two games, so that I don't see there are too many reasons to change it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's the only main cause, I think, for changes, isn't it, Beth? I mean, if you want to talk us through your back four, do you have one eye on Real Madrid? And then if you also want to go into your midfield as well after that? Yeah, I agree with, with the other two. I think if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, and I think if, if there was a, maybe a two-goal deficit, maybe you'd be looking at that that Real Madrid game as, as potentially, you know, they, they could come back and, um, you know, I hope I'm proved wrong and Liverpool do mount another historic comeback in the in the Champions League. But I'm very doubtful that that, that will happen regardless of, of what 11 they feel when they when they travel to, to Spain, because, you know, the, a three goal lead at, at home against Real Madrid and we, we've seen how dangerous they are on, on the counter attack. Um, I think that's going to be really difficult to, to overturn. So um, I think Liverpool just need to go as strong as possible now in the league, and and certainly with the back four, I'd stick with the stick with the same as as United, and then in midfield, I'd probably go, um, as you know, I can't pronounce his name, Stefan, we'll call him, um, I'd probably go him and Henderson, um, and then it's whether you you have Harvey Elliott in or whether you bring Fabinho in. I think I'd probably bring Fabinho in actually. Um, I think he's he's looked sort of more back to his, to his to his old self. Not not completely, but definitely improved. So yeah, I'd go um I'd go those three in midfield. Yeah, I mean Rich, as you alluded to in one of your previous answers, actually a bit of a selection headache as best demonstrated there. It's quite tough. I'm thinking in myself, I'm not sure which three I'd choose in the midfield. Who are you going to go for in yours? Um there is an argument, isn't there, for perhaps leaving Fabino or Henderson out with one eye on Real Madrid. But it, it's really down to which game you put more importance on. And I would personally put more importance on this game against Bournemouth than I would against Real Madrid. I think it's highly unlikely that Liverpool will be able to overturn this result against Real Madrid. If they do, I'll come on blood red next week in a full wet suit with snorkel. Um, Someone clip that. <laughs> yeah, you can have that out of there if you can. Um, yeah, that's that's how certain I am that Liverpool won't be able to overturn it. I just think it's a bridge too far this time. Watch, they're going to win 7-0 now. Um, so, I, temp, you know, tempted to bring uh, Bacetic back in, but I, I, I've already kind of set in my mind that I was, Joe, you know, I was really, really impressed with Elliot against United. I did not expect him to um to deliver what he did actually um which 
I'm very pleased about and that these players need to be rewarded. So I would just stick with those three, Fabinho, Henderson and Elias. Yeah, I think that might be a sensible call. So much negativity, though, ahead of the Bernabeu match. I mean, I'm, for one, I'm believing in it. I think they can do it. Get 1-0 up early, score a second, second half, get a late third, take it to extra time. You never know. Theo, do you believe as much as me? And also, if you want to talk us through your midfield, and then who are you going to pick in the attack as well? I don't believe at all. Be really oh. pessimistic about that one. If it was at Anfield, yes. Anything's possible at Anfield. But... Whatever Liverpool fans say about Anfield, Real Madrid fans say about the Bernabeu. So when you've won, what, 14 European Cups and they've won it the way they do, it's probably a step too far. But having said that, I do think I'd make a change in midfield um, just to rotate it up a little bit. I, I know there's the argument for sticking with what's worked, but when you've got this group of four players and two of them have been a bit fragile for form this year, you might as well protect them a little bit, keep them fresh. It's just which one of them do you want to keep fresh? Um, Elliot, as Rich said, he, he was superb against United. He had a little spells in the out of the team out of midfield, and he looks like it's been the making of him that he's back to that form we saw him in probably before the, the ankle injury last year. And I think he's going to be crucial against Real Madrid because he's just going to go relish it, isn't it? Play at the Bernabeu, no fear at all, pressing against the likes of Luka Modric. That, that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. But I still, I'd play him against Bournemouth, and then it's Fabinho or Henderson drop out because Pesetic can come back in. I'm leaning towards Fabinho can drop out with Pesetic as the six and Henderson as the more advanced one. And that's partly because Fabinho, against his former club in Real Madrid, if he is at his absolute best, that's the, the smallest chance Liverpool have got. If he is all over that midfield, Liverpool have got a chance. We've not seen that enough from him this year. So I'll rest his legs for this one just in case of a miracle, but I won't be holding my breath. Yeah, I think that's the midfield I'd go for as well, to be honest. It might be a bit of a risk playing two youngsters in Bacetic and Elliot at Bournemouth, but I think they'll have enough quality to you know, overrun that Bournemouth midfield, you said, and then the attack as well, Theo. It's an interesting one. I mean, Beth, who are you going to go for in your front three? I mean, is there a case for Roberto Firmino? Some nice words from Jürgen Klopp today in his press conference. I'm, are you going to give Bobby a chance or are you going to stick with a tried and tested three who was so good against United? <laughs> Um, yeah, go on. I'll mix it up a little bit and bring Bobby back in. Obviously, got that goal, didn't he, against United, and um, you know looked looked sharp when he, he came on. So um, yeah, I think maybe give give one of of Nunes or Gakpo a rest. Um, maybe give give Nunes a rest and um, no, I, I changed my mind. Give Gakpo a rest, um, and obviously he can come on then if things aren't aren't going Liverpool's way. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go for for Firmino through the middle. Nunes on the left and Salah on the right. Very interesting. Well, I kind of talked you into that answer. <laughs> I mean, Rich, who's going to be in your attack for Saturday? Um, well, Mohamed Salah's in after that absolutely outstanding performance against United that um, kind of gave me a good reminder of why he's been one of Liverpool's best players for so many years now. It was just vintage Salah. Um, on Sunday, enjoyed seeing him play like that so much, and we want a bit more of that. Um, and you know, two great goals from Gakpo, I can't leave him out, said that correct, I think. Um, and Nunes is, is building, isn't he? He's building week on week and and looking at more the type of player that, that Liverpool should be playing. I, I just don't see an argument for changing it, I know it's a bit boring. and I kind of said that right at the start, didn't I? If it ain't broke, then fix it. But it, it's building. And it, Klopp likes rhythm, doesn't he? He likes momentum. Um, see no reason to change it. Just go with those three, Salah, Gakpo and Nunes. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's one you start with that and then if they're winning 60, 70 minutes in, then you make the changes and go on a bit of a break, you know, for that last half an hour or so. I think that's the way I'd go about it. But um, anyway, let's move on then to our score predictions. Theo, you've read through the results of the past five years since the start of the show. How do you think this one's going to go? I, I thought I'd be getting to choose an attack first, to be honest. I, I, was, I wasn't sure if you did mention your attack. Go on, Theo, sorry. Choose your first <laughs> three and then talk us through your prediction. It's not going to be very interesting because I'm leaving it unchanged as well. But yeah. would you really want to be Jurgen Klopp and having to go to one of those three? You scored at the brace against United. You were superb. We won 7-0. You dropped. Or we're resting <laughs> you for Wednesday's historic comeback turnaround at uh, Bernabeu. They've started four games together in this setup with Nunes on the left, Gapo down the middle. And I think they've got four goals each. And you've got Salah with four assists. And Nunes has got an assist in the derby as well. It's a front three that works. And as you said, it's what they did against Newcastle as well, actually. You know, when you've got that lead, you can take players off on the hour mark and protect legs then. So leave the front three the same. We've always got to mention when it's Bournemouth, Salah loves scoring against them. We, we can say this about half the division now, I think. And now he's got, <laughs> yeah. what, a dozen goals against United. He always seems to score against, like, the West Ham's, the Tottenham's. I think his record against City's pretty good as well. But yeah, um, Bournemouth, another one of those teams, I remember he's, he's got a hat-trick at the Vitality before. So mm. hopefully he can uh, get a few more goals down there. So keep it as it is and hope no one gets any injuries and they can get subbed off in the hour mark with that Bernabeu trip in sight. Um, let's go 2-1 on the spool prediction. Like It's still that sleepy kick-off time. And I don't think you're going to see an emphatic thrashing two weeks in a row from Liverpool. I'm surprised that you alluded there to think, you know, a five and a Liverpool prediction was coming with a sour hat-trick, but maybe not. Beth, how do you think it's going to go? Are you similarly anxious about the early kick-off time? I am, but I'm going to try and be optimistic. I'm going to go 3-1. I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. I don't think it'll be like a, a scintillating performance as it was last week, but I think they'll, they'll have enough to get the job done. Both Theo and Beth Rich are predicting that the run of clean sheets is going to come to an end. Are you also going to similarly predict that? Absolutely not. Clean sheets, bedrock of everything. Um, that's what they need on Saturday, and that's what they're going to get. And so I am going to go for 2-0 Liverpool. Nice. I'm going to be even more confident and go for 4-0 Liverpool. I think they're going to carry on that momentum and absolutely batter them. I think Bournemouth will have an eye on that you know, international break. I don't think they'll be caring too much about this one. Yeah. Now, now we know why you think you can stage a comeback at the Bernabeu. Exactly. It's going to be a big week of goal scoring, I think, and they're going to do it on Wednesday. I've got the faith, listeners. Don't worry about the other three. I, I believe they'll be doing it. Hopefully we can have some positive blood red podcast next week should we say but anyway that'll wrap us up there for today's show i think as our team selector showed there's a chance for maybe some rotation but hopefully come 2 30 tomorrow liverpool can be enjoying a place in the top four of the premier league for at least half an hour i suppose maybe more if spurs still up against forest let's hope the reds can keep that place in the champions league positions thanks so much though everyone for watching and listening along to us make sure you subscribe to us on youtube at the blood red channel so you don't miss any of our content and of course subscribe to us whichever platform you get your podcasts from so you don't miss any of our daily episodes. But for now, for myself, Patrick Smith, Theo Squires, Beth Lindup and Rich Garnet, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you again soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.